When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 193 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Aratora Sports Podcast. Great show on the way today. I should reference, if you missed, missed last week, great show on Thursday as Evan Daniels joined us, the recruiting guru. He talked about all sorts of things, uh, the recruitment of Cade Cunningham, the number two player in the country, this trend of players going overseas into international teams, what to make of that. All sorts of good recruiting nuggets. So if you missed last week, make sure you go back and listen to Evan Daniels. Today, it's back to just me, and we're going to bounce between college football and college basketball. Obviously, we're coming off an awesome Saturday of college football, and I know I've said it for a few weeks now, but we are really starting to get an idea of what the college football landscape is looking like. Obviously, look, the big story was Oklahoma losing. We'll break that down. We will break down um, LSU winning, but frankly, looking not that impressive. What does it mean going forward? Also, I want to talk about how frustrated I am with Arkansas football. Also, how impressed I am by Kentucky football. Mark Stoops winning with what is essentially his fourth string quarterback, who's really a wide receiver. This guy just continues to win games, so it's a credit to Mark Stoops. We'll switch over. I'll also talk Notre Dame, Michigan, for those of you who are worried about it, and Ohio State. So we'll talk about all the big games, plus Arkansas, plus Kentucky. And then I'll switch over to college hoops. First of all, uh, Vegas released some over-under win totals. I'm going to tell you the ones that I like, the ones that I don't, the ones to stay away from, and there will be a little bit of a college hoops mailbag. Still a, a couple questions still from the fall that I never got to I wanted to address. As we get set for right now, people, we are like 10, what are we, 9, 8 days away from the start of college hoops season. Next Tuesday, Champions Classic, New York City. I will not be there, but I'll obviously be doing a show right after the Michigan State-Kentucky game, and of course Duke and Kansas play that same night. So a lot to get into bounce back between college football, college basketball. And I do think the college football segment of the show, we're going to do like I did last week, where I'm really probably going to touch on five, six different subjects, bounce from one topic to the other to the other, make it much more shorter, much more condensed, uh, and try to get you out of here in a reasonable amount of time. So before we do that, I want to remind you guys, please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on Podcast Addict if you have an Android. You can do it on TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise. 
Spotify, anywhere you're listening to shows, make sure you're subscribed, especially now that we're towards college hoop season. Obviously, look, I'm always going to talk college football as the season wears on, but once we get to college hoops, we're talking a lot of college hoops. We're going to have some great guests. As promised, look, the last couple weeks I've given you Evan Daniels, I've given you Gary Parrish. That is going to continue throughout the season, so uh, make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show Give us a quick five stars if you don't mind. So many of you have been so nice to do that. Uh, You can do that, of course, wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a quick five stars. If you want to write something nice, rate, review the show. That'd be awesome. Also, uh, if you're not following, make sure you follow on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Going to do a lot of live reaction there as stuff happens throughout the college hoop season. And then finally, if you have questions, like I said, I got a few questions in the mailbag. So Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, let's get right into this. No screwing around, no goofing off, no talking about stuff that doesn't matter. We're going to get right into the heart of college football on Saturday because the big story from Saturday is the Oklahoma Sooners. And anybody who watched college football knows that this was kind of a weird, wild, just bizarre, strange game in which Oklahoma came in as a 24-point favorite, and they ended up losing straight up at Kansas State. And I will say, there was a scenario where you could see this being a compelling game. Uh, Oklahoma, this is like their fifth straight noon kickoff, and I always worry about teams playing noon kickoffs. How motivated are they? We saw Georgia lose in a noon kickoff a few weeks ago. We saw Wisconsin lose in a noon kickoff a few weeks ago. So you always wonder the psyche of a team coming in But I also, even with Oklahoma in a fifth straight noon kickoff, playing on the road, they go into a bye this weekend, I'm not going to lie and say that I saw Oklahoma losing this game. And so Oklahoma loses, and of course, like the immediate reaction is all the dumb stuff that fans are always doing, which is, oh, well, I guess that means the Big 12 is out of the college football playoff picture. It's like, no, they're not. Stop. So first of all, for people who want kind of the, the big picture, let, let's talk about the big picture. Stop with the nonsense that this has now eliminated Oklahoma from the college football playoff picture. It hasn't. It doesn't matter. Things don't change. Oklahoma is currently sitting at 7-1 and one on the season. Guess what? If they go 12-1 and one and win the Big 12, they will be in the college football playoff. I can say with almost near certainty that that will be the case. You know why? Because last year, you know what happened? They lost to Texas, still finished 12-1, and won the Big 12 championship game, made the college football playoff. Year before, they lost to Iowa State, made the college football playoff. There was no Big 12 championship game, but the point remains, the last two years, they have made the college football playoff with one loss. I should mention, if you want to go back four years, three of the last four years, they've made the college football playoff with one loss. So don't tell me that this game impacts the playoff picture. If Oklahoma finishes 12-1, and they will make the playoff. I should mention there are people like, oh, well, the Big 12 is done in the playoff picture. Well, you, you realize Baylor's 7-0, right? So if Baylor goes undefeated, Baylor is going to make the college football playoff. I would say if Baylor goes 12-1, they're probably going to make the college football playoff because that'll mean they have at least one win over Oklahoma. That'll mean they have a win over Texas. That'll mean they probably have a win over all the big names in the, in the Big 12. And I should mention, from a strictly back-to-Oklahoma perspective, I don't think this loss was terrible. Kansas State is 5-2. and two. They're now ranked in the top 25. They have some good wins on their resume. So this idea that this is this 
apocalyptic loss for Oklahoma that their college football resume is just in the gutter. Give it up. Season is over. Stop. But I think something else can also be true. You can say that their playoff picture is in front of them, that the road is ahead, that if they win out, they will be fine, while also saying that Saturday's loss raised some real concerns for them. And I think the first concern is pretty basic, which is, are we sure that, one, are we sure even Oklahoma's that good? Because if you look at their resume, they really haven't played anybody yet. Uh, Their best win is obviously against Texas in the uh, Red River shootout, but let's not forget that Texas lost yesterday to TCU. Texas is now uh, 5-3 overall and and 3-2 in the Big 12. And you look at the rest of Oklahoma's wins, it's against Texas, which is 1-4 in the Big 12. It's against Kansas, which is 1-4 in the Big 12. It's against West Virginia, which is... So their three Big 12 wins are to the three worst teams in the standings right now in the Big 12. They also beat UCLA before UCLA kind of got, got things figured out. They beat South Dakota, which is an FCS team. They beat Houston, which is terrible, so bad that they're tanking. So I think that there are real questions about, one, who has Oklahoma played? And then, two, more importantly... What the heck happened with that defense yesterday? Because if you remember back to last year, as great as Kyler Murray was, I think what Kyler Murray overshadowed, which was eventually exposed in the college football playoff, is that Oklahoma was terrible on defense. They finished, I think, like 126th nationally out of 130 teams in total defense. And if you looked at their schedule over the final month, month and a half of the year, I'm not exaggerating when I say that they probably had the worst defense in all of college football over the final month of the season. Here are their final four regular season games from last year. They beat Texas Tech 51 to 46. They beat Oklahoma 48 Oklahoma State 48-47, Kansas 55-40, and then West Virginia 59-56. And Kyler Murray was so phenomenal. And Kyler Murray by the way has been awesome in the NFL. I may have whiffed on that guy, but they were so good with Kyler Murray that it was just one of those deals where he overshadowed the problems with the defense. And so to the credit of Oklahoma early on, they have been much better defensively. And of course, the problem with Oklahoma comes in with what happened yesterday, what happened Saturday at Kansas State. And if you watch the game, it kind of looked like a vintage Oklahoma defense. They lose 48-41 in a game that they gave up over 400 yards of total offense, over almost eight yards per pass and almost five yards per rush. And so I think when I look at Oklahoma, you can separate the small picture of things, which is no, they're not eliminated from the playoff. No, they their road is, yes, their road is still in front of them. Yes, if they went out, they're going to be in the playoff with the very real concern that that defense did not look very good yesterday. And so that is the big question coming out of Oklahoma. I will say it was a weird game because they fell down by a a billion points about the middle of the third quarter and then slowly chipped their way back. If you watch the game, you know that uh, with about, I don't know, about five minutes to go, six minutes to go, uh, they were down by... You know, they, they scored a couple late touchdowns. They had a, a chance for an onside kick. By the way, if you guys watched the game, it was a very bizarre situation where it looked like they recovered the onside kick, uh, and they ruled that Oklahoma recovered an onside kick. And if they had recovered the onside kick, they would have had a chance to drive and tie the game, potentially win the game. But what ended up happening was um, 
the the uh, the video replay eventually overturned it with what I thought was kind of sketchy review. Like I thought video replay was supposed to be indisputable video evidence. And if you watch that Oklahoma game, the the onside kick gets recovered. They they accuse Oklahoma of not letting the ball go ten yards before they touch it, which is a pretty standard onside kick rule. Just one problem, video replay says they did, but I didn't actually see it in the video replay. So Oklahoma loses, but again, the big story out of this game is not that Oklahoma lost. It's not that their playoff picture is done. It's not that the Big 12's playoff picture is done. It's very simply the idea of, is this defense actually as good as we thought? Because again, through the first six games of the season, first seven games of the season, they only gave up more than 20 points twice the entire year. One was to Houston in the season opener. One was to Texas in the Red River shootout. And they only gave up 30 points once. And one was to to Houston in that season opener back on Labor Day. Uh, and Houston scored a bunch of points late to even get to 31. So that is the question to watch with Oklahoma. They go into a bye this weekend. But coming out, I will tell you this, they have a much more difficult second half of the schedule as they do still play Iowa State, which is currently 5-3 and three overall. They play Baylor, which, as I mentioned, comes out of their own bye this weekend undefeated. They play TCU, who just beat Texas. They play at Oklahoma State. So that is the thing to watch with Oklahoma. But for the third weekend in a row, we got a major top 10 upset in that noon window, and it just shakes things up, right? Wisconsin lost last week. It completely changes the picture because Wisconsin goes from two weeks ago, they're a team that we think is potentially one of the five best teams in the country, to they're basically completely out of the playoff picture. Uh, two weeks, uh, two weeks, a week before that, Georgia loses. They're now in a very precarious position in the SEC. I won't say that Georgia has been eliminated, but they got to beat Florida this weekend coming up. And they basically got to win on out. They got to beat either Alabama or LSU in the SEC championship game. So just something to keep an eye on. It's a tough loss for Oklahoma. But again, it doesn't change all that much in the playoff picture. But I do think it changes the narrative around Oklahoma, which is unstoppable offense. The defense is playing well. They can play. If the defense can play like this, they could play with anybody. Well, the defense took a step back on Saturday. And we'll see if that was a one-game aberration. We'll see if they get better coming out of the bye. Because if they don't, Oklahoma is not going to continue to have the success that they've had. They're not going to finish 12-1. and They will not be in position to make the playoff. All right, let's move on. Uh, other big games this weekend. One of them was LSU-Auburn. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because LSU did win this game. And LSU did do exactly what they were supposed to do which is win the last game before they play Bama. And LSU, like Oklahoma, like Alabama, is going into a bye next week. And so this was the final big game. This was the final game period before they play the game that's going to define their season, which is LSU-Bama. They go to Bama. It's their only real big road game this year. So far, all of their big games have been at home with the, the you know, with the exception of the Texas game and the out-of-conference, but in-conference, they've played Florida at home, they've played uh, Auburn at home, and now they have to go on the road next week. But LSU, to their credit, took care of business. But I'll also say this, and this is something I've been consistent about the entire college football season, is that I do believe that at times, we can be too results-oriented in this business. As in, a team wins, and we just say, oh, they're great, they're amazing, they're this, they're that. And a team loses, we say, oh, they're terrible, fire the coach, this and that. 
And I've used the Oregon example a million times, the Oregon-Auburn example, where Auburn makes one play at the end of the Oregon game and we praise Auburn and we're now realizing they're probably not that good as they suffer their second loss of the season, which easily could have been their third with that first game against Oregon. And then I think from the opposite perspective, I mentioned this last week with Michigan, is that we spend so much time crushing Jim Harbaugh that I think you know we, we had to give him a little bit of credit last week at Penn State when they fell down 21 nothing, could have lost that game, and instead they drive the length of the field, it's 28-21, they have a chance to tie it before their wide receiver drops the pass. And I said last week, like, hey, Michigan might use this game to build momentum going forward, and we'll see how they do against Notre Dame. And of course, Michigan was awesome against Notre Dame, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I do want to stay on LSU for a second, because I do think, again, that at times we become a little too results-oriented in our business, in our business, I'm talking about me in the media, in that we just worry so much about the win and so little about the loss that we don't look at the nuance of it. And my big takeaway from this game and one of my big takeaways, frankly, from the entire weekend, I don't like the way LSU played going into into the bye week, going into the Bama game. Now, maybe it has no effect. Maybe it means nothing. We'll find out in two weeks. But you know, while Bama was steamrolling Arkansas, while Bama was getting their second and third team extra reps, building depth, resting their starters for an additional week because they have a bye next week and they played Arkansas, which might as well have been a bye this week, LSU was in a real dogfight against Auburn, and Auburn played well, but I just thought that it was a very disappointing effort overall for LSU because the one thing about LSU, everyone's been so focused on, oh, this high-powered passing offense, and they're, they're, they're moving the ball, and it's so fun to watch, and it's like, but they've actually been a really fundamentally sound team. They've been a team that, yes, the offense has been really fun to watch. Yeah, we all love Coach O. We love the accent. He's awesome, but the one thing about LSU is that they've been a team that doesn't beat themselves. Yet if you watch the game against Auburn, and if you didn't, this is why I'm here to tell you what happened, right? If you watch the game against Auburn, or if you didn't, LSU had a ton of mental mistakes. First of all, they had 12 penalties for 118 yards of total total offense that they gave up, uh, which was by far the most in both categories this year. They had a muffed punt, which resulted in Auburn basically recovering the ball on, I don't know, the 10-yard line, which resulted in an Auburn touchdown. And Joe Burrow, who's been really good, who I would have somewhere in the Heisman conversation. I, I don't. For people who don't listen to this show regularly, I don't do October Heisman talk. I don't do September Heisman talk because it changes week to week, month to month, every, every single Saturday to the point that we saw last year, by the way, Kyler Murray was on no one's radar all year. Tua was the overwhelming favorite all year. And then all of a sudden, Kyler Murray's awesome in the last couple weeks of the season. Tua gets knocked out of the SEC championship game. Jalen Hurts bails Bama out. And Tua gets jumped for the Heisman, even though I think that he was the better quarterback all season long. So I bring all this up because when it comes to LSU, there are some real issues. Joe Burrow has been awesome, but he threw an interception. And like I said, their punt returner muffed a punt, which resulted in Auburn's points. And they, of course, uh, had 12, turn, 12 penalties for 118 yards. So again, I'm not going to belabor the point. I'm not going to go over the top. I'm not going to get too uh, extreme. But what I am going to say is this, is like we're starting to talk about, re- we're really starting to talk about the college football playoff picture right now. And I should mention that with Oklahoma's loss, 
it makes it that much more likely that we could potentially get a second SEC team in the college football playoff. We could get the loser of Alabama LSU in the college football playoff if both of those teams win out going forward. But LSU, if they were to lose, if they win, they're golden. But if they were to lose, you can't get embarrassed. And the one thing I will say, you're going to Bama. Thankfully, it's not a night game this year. It's, it's actually a 3.30 Eastern time kickoff. You have 12 penalties for 118 yards against Bama. You muff a punt in the red zone against Bama. You throw an interception in the red zone against Bama. Guess what? You're losing that game. So just something to keep an eye on, just something to think about, and we'll see kind of how Ed Orgeron kind of addresses it in the bye week. We'll see how he addresses it in the week leading up to the Bama game. But I'm just telling you, keep an eye out on that one. I should, while I'm on the subject of Bama, I should really quickly reference, by the way, that um, Bama just annihilated Arkansas. And this was one, if you listen to this show, if you read my tweets at Aaron underscore Torres, like I even said, Arkansas opened as a 35-point underdog to Bama, and this was even after it became clear that Tua Tonga Viola wasn't going to play. And I said like, and I think my exact quote, I used the word bro in my tweet. Now, why did I use the word bro in my tweet? I'm not really sure. But I said something to the effect of bro. If Arkansas loses to this Alabama team as a 35-point underdog, if they can't, excuse me, I don't want to say if they lose, if they can't cover the spread against this Alabama team as a 35-point underdog, they should shut down the program. And I was kind of joking, but in hindsight, like, I don't know if I should have been joking because you know what Arkansas did? They fell behind 17-0 in the first quarter to Bama. And again, let's keep in mind, this isn't vintage Bama. This is Bama without Tua Tonga Viola. This is Bama that was ranked sixth in the SEC in rushing coming into this game, as in they weren't really running the ball all that well. This was a team that I should mention was eighth in defense. This was a Bama team that was eighth in defense in the SEC coming into this game. This is a Bama team that we should mention that a few weeks ago in their SEC opener against South Carolina gave up close to 500 yards of total offense and over 350 yards passing. This is the same Bama team that against Ole Miss with a freshman quarterback, a true freshman quarterback against Ole Miss, Ole Miss put up 31 points and they put up almost 500 yards of total offense. This is not a vintage Bama team. And so my takeaway is, I know we want to talk about Bama and they're, you know, they're shoring up all the loose ends and Mac Jones looked good as the backup quarterback. You know what my takeaway was? This was a low point. This was an embarrassment for the University of Arkansas. And I haven't spent a ton of time talking about Arkansas on this podcast because they haven't won an SEC game this year. They didn't win an SEC game last year. And there's no reason to really talk about them. This is a national college sports podcast, talk college football, talk college basketball. I shouldn't talk Arkansas in the same way that, let's be honest, I shouldn't talk Washington State basketball when it's basketball season. I shouldn't talk Vandy basketball during basketball season. I shouldn't talk um, Iowa basketball during basketball season because those programs are irrelevant. And let's be honest, Arkansas is irrelevant too. The only reason they are relevant is because of how miserably bad they are. And I thought this was a game that epitomized everything that's wrong with this program. And here's my quick thing on Arkansas. Most of you guys probably didn't watch much of this game because it was a blowout. But here's the thing. Like I said, this is not a vintage Bama team. This is a Bama team that teams have moved the ball against. 
And this is a team that I think Arkansas should have been able to move the ball against. And instead, what do they do? First drive, they're moving the ball. Things are going good. Fumble, recovery by Bama. Second drive, things are going good. What do they do? Interception by Bama. Third, third drive, interception. And it's like all of a sudden, Bama is capitalizing on every single one of those plays. And so to me, what this goes back to is very simply this, is I am so disappointed in Chad Morris. And I'm not a guy, like, like I don't do the overdramatic college coach-like thing, right? Like, I try to be level-headed about this. Even when Tennessee was losing to BYU and losing to Georgia Southern, I kept saying, like, let's just give Jeremy Pruitt time. Like, maybe, maybe this thing will get figured out. Now it has been. He's been really good. The only time I really go after a coach is if I think they're a fraud like Kirby Smart, where the only reason I went at Kirby Smart was because I'm sitting here saying like, dude, you can't claim that you should be in the college football playoff if you lose games to the best teams you play. That's the only time I really remember really going after a coach. I mean, even Jim Harbaugh, I've said like, yeah, you got to beat Army more convincingly and you got to beat Iowa more convincingly. But when he's losing games, I said like, I don't know, man, I, I think this guy's not as bad as people think he is. And so I bring it up with Chad Morris because I'm hesitant to go after coaches. But when I watch Arkansas, this is what I see. I see a coach with a play sheet. Literally, the man has the biggest play sheet I've ever seen in my life. And they can't execute the basics. You don't need a play sheet the size of South Dakota if you can't tackle and you can't catch the ball and you can't run the ball without fumbling and your quarterback can't drop back in the pocket without throwing it to the other team. Stop with the the play sheet that's half the size of a freaking Dakota and figure out the basics. And this is the part that drives me crazy. And this was the part that drove me crazy watching this game. And this is why I'm so fired up. I don't even know why I'm so fired up. You guys, it's Monday. You're driving to work. You're driving home from work. You just want to get home. You don't want to hear me yelling about Chad Morris. But it's like, it is so ridiculous to me, these coaches. And I'll say this, is that like, you have to show progress at some point. And again, I'm not trying to go after all these coaches, but you look across the SEC, let's be honest. Like I said, Jeremy Pruitt is turning things around at Tennessee. They beat South Carolina the other day. They beat Mississippi State the other day. Ole Miss, Matt Luke, that guy was an offensive line coach three years ago, and he has Ole Miss going in the right direction, maybe gets bowl eligible this year after all those NCAA sanctions. Um... I'm just thinking Derek Mason at Vandy has has Vandy playing hard. We're going to get to Mark Stoops in a minute, who I think might should be SEC Coach of the Year with what he's doing. He's got a fourth-string quarterback that's a wide receiver, and he's winning games. And I got Chad Morris over there with his play sheet that's the size of South the freaking Coda, and they can't and they can't move the ball. They can't throw a simple pitch and catch without working without an interception. And so this is the part that drives me crazy. I'm going random. I'm going off script here. I'm so mad. Because I just I see these coaches and it's like, dude, who do you think you're impressing with a play sheet that covers up half your body? That's the size of a small child. No one. Figure out the basics, get it figured out, and be better. And again, I like I don't think that I'm that critical of coaches. But when you're 0-5 in the SEC already, when you went 0-8 last year, and that you're really realistically now looking at potentially two straight losing seasons in the SEC without a single SEC win, like you got to figure it out and you got to get back to the basics and you can't have quarterbacks throwing interceptions every play. And by the way, 
It's week nine, and he still doesn't know who his quarterback is. So that drives me crazy. I know the story was Bama. Bama looking good. The backup quarterback looks good. They're getting ready for LSU. But the story to me was Arkansas. You got to be better. You can't be moving the ball and turning it over and missing tackles and quitting on your coach. And you can't have your coach sitting there with a play sheet the size of a small child if you can't do the basics. So that's my Arkansas rant. And I actually think that it leads perfectly into my Kentucky rant because while Chad Morris it, it can't even see the field over his play sheet, um, while Chad Morris is you know <laughs> is hiding fugitives behind his play sheet because that thing's so big, you got Kentucky. And how about Mark Stoops? I'll tell you this, man. Mark Stoops has impressed me so much at the University of Kentucky this year. I was a guy... I said, you know, look, the guy's been really good. Kentucky's not an easy place to coach. And they won 10 games last year, and it was this historic, incredible 10-win season. And I kind of said to myself, like, is it possible that all the stars aligned and that, like, maybe it would never be that good for Kentucky again? And that they had Josh Allen, who was a first-round draft pick, and they had a bunch of other guys who ended up being drafted by the NFL, including, of course, um, you know, uh, Benny Snell, the wide receiver, and you have a bunch of other guys that ended up getting drafted. You had some really good players on the defense and in the defensive backfield. You had the tight end, CJ Conrad, who has gotten a cup of coffee in the NFL. And I said, like, maybe that's as good as it's ever going to get for Kentucky. And it still might be. But then, week two, Kentucky loses its starting quarterback to injury. T Terry Wilson tears up his knee. Well, his knee got torn up because some defensive player tore it up because it was a like a vicious tackle, but Terry Wilson gets hurt. Then a few weeks later, the backup Sawyer Smith gets hurt, and apparently they had another guy get hurt in fall camp, and you get to the middle of the season, and they lost to Mississippi State. They lost to South Carolina. I just said, like, man, this just might be over for Kentucky. Like, this just might be circle the wagons, pack things up. You're going to end up going four and eight, and you just try to build towards next year uh, because you're down to your four-string quarterback, and your four-string quarterback is a wide receiver, Lynn Bowden, and let's be honest, you don't generally win when your four-string quarterback is playing, especially when your four-string quarterback is actually a wide receiver and poses very little passing threat. And so that's what's been so impressive to me about the University of Kentucky is like, I don't know what Mark Stoops is saying behind the scenes, and maybe I should get my buddy Nick Roush on this show who covers Kentucky football as well as anybody that I know. I think he covers that beat as well as any beat writer in America covers any beat. But I want to know what Mark Stoops is saying behind the scenes. Because Mark Stoops, it's very clear, when they went to Lynn Bowden at quarterback, they said, we're going to rely on our offensive line to move some people, and we're going to rely on our defense to make plays and stop people. And those two things have happened. And since they went to Lynn Bowden, Kentucky is 2-1 and one with the wins over Arkansas, win over Missouri, and oh, by the way, they played Georgia insanely tough last week at Georgia. And so this, to me, is one of the great stories in college football that nobody's talking about. And I'd love to sit here and explain why it's happening and, well, you know, they switched to a base defense of this and, you know, the blitzing from here. And it's like, no, I think it's basic football 101. Hey, offensive line, we're going to run the ball 80% of the time. I think they passed the ball four times total, or excuse me, eight times total against Missouri. They won by 22 points because Mark, Mark Stoops just said, look, we're running the ball, so create some holes, open some holes. And that's exactly what they did. Finished with almost 300 yards rushing. 
I was right, eight passes for Kentucky on Saturday night against Missouri. But think about that. They have a fourth-string quarterback who's actually their wide receiver at quarterback, and they just beat an SEC team by 22 points, by three touchdowns. And they, they don't even have a threat of the pass. And I think it's one of the incredible coaching jobs. And I think, by the way, it's the big difference between a well-coached team and a poorly coached team. Because you got a poorly coached team like Arkansas, who I just mentioned, Chad Morris has three healthy quarterbacks. He can't get any of them ready to play. And Mark Stoops is down to his four-string quarterback, who's actually a wide receiver, and they're winning. So I just want to give Mark Stoops a ton of credit because I just think what he is doing is so underappreciated on the national scale. It's not going to make headlines. It's not LSU. It's not... Alabama, it's not Ohio State, it's not Michigan, but it's just unbelievable. And I think he deserves credit. I think if they get to six and six, he should be in consideration for SEC Coach of the Year, even if they don't get to six and six. I think the fact that he's gotten them to four and four right now is one of the minor miracles in college football at this point because of the way that they have to play and because of the fact that they have a wide receiver playing quarterback. And they're moving the ball. I just think it's an incredible story. It's an incredible testament to Mark Stoops. And I think it's a really fun story. And I should mention, too, Kentucky's schedule is very manageable going forward. They get a bye next week. They play Tennessee at home, who I think Tennessee's actually playing really well. By the way, credit to Jeremy Pruitt. I've said it a few times. That program has completely turned around. Won two out of their last three. Played Bama tough last week without Tua. But Kentucky has Tennessee. They have at Vandy. They have at Tennessee Martin or Tennessee Martin at home, which I would assume is going to be a win, and they have Louisville. So they could finish eight and four. It's not inconceivable they finish eight and four. But I think if they get to six and six and they get to a bowl game, that is one of the great stories in all of football this year. All right, wrap up on a few of the other bigger games. Um, one, I just want to give a quick shout out to Michigan. I've spent so much time talking about Jim Harbaugh on this show, and I don't really want to spend all that much time really talking about that game because it was a total bloodbath beat down like the Kentucky game, like the Ohio State game, like Penn State, Michigan State. It was in a torrential downpour. It was sloppy football and it didn't matter. Michigan dominated. They won. And I know people would kind of say, well, you know, uh, there was a there was a, a, a questionable call early in the game. and that No, stop. Don't tell me it's the same thing with Oklahoma, right? Even though Oklahoma didn't recover that onsides kick, and even though the call went against them, that had nothing to do with the outcome of this game. How about Michigan? 437 yards of offense. They hold Notre Dame to 180 yards of offense. I'd say really quick, I don't really know what the hell happened with Notre Dame because when I look at Notre Dame, I'm kind of just sitting there like, they just came like they didn't want to play. <laughs> like they got off the bus and they didn't know it was raining. They were like, man, I don't, we don't really want to get these uniforms dirty. But it is a credit to Michigan, and again, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but I just think, look, we in the media, and again, I say we, I don't necessarily mean me, but we spend so much time crushing Jim Harbaugh, crushing a guy who's had three 10-win seasons over the last four years, crushing a guy who, listen, I don't know how many programs would want Jim Harbaugh, but a lot of them would want the results. You mean to tell me uh, an Arkansas fan wouldn't take 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 8 and 5, 10 and 3 over the last four years? You mean to tell me a Florida State fan wouldn't take those results? You mean to tell me uh, whoever, a USC fan, like everybody would. And so when I look at Harbaugh, I just give him credit because they lost again at Penn State last week. But as I said on last week's show, they showed positive signs. And now I think they, they hit a really interesting stretch. They're going into the back half of the schedule. It is manageable outside of Ohio State. I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State. 
but they play Maryland next week. They get a bye. They play Michigan State, Indiana, and Ohio State. They're 6-2 and two right now. Listen, I think if they get to 9-3, and three, considering where they were, especially after that, um, after that Wisconsin game, I think it's, it's an incredible season for Harbaugh. I, listen, I like having him in college football. I hope he comes back. I understand that at some point you got to beat Ohio State. I understand that he's still only, I think, 2-9 and nine against top 10 teams. So let's not you know, set, set up a parade for him yet. But I just think, man, that guy takes a whole lot of crap for a guy that's won 75% of his games, for a guy who's won 10 games in three of his four seasons. Like, let's just, I'm just, and I'm happy for the kids. A lot of kids bought into him. A lot of kids, uh, you know, parents sent their kids to that school to play for him. And so I'm happy to have him have success. I never want to see a person fail, a program fail, a, a group of kids fail. I'm happy for Michigan. I enjoyed that game. Last thought from the college football weekend, uh, Ohio State. I don't think there's much to say other than that they're the best team in the country. You can argue a lot of things, and I tweeted this, and SEC fans got mad. You can argue a lot of things. You can't argue Ohio State being the number one team in the country. Will they be there on the last night of the season? I don't know. But what I'm telling you is top five on offense, top five on defense. Uh, Wisconsin, okay, yes, they're limited offensively, but they also couldn't do anything against Ohio State. Ohio State also put up 38 points on a defense that has four separate shutouts this year. And so I look at Ohio State and I just say, I don't know what they don't do well. By the way, they had a kicker make almost a 50-yard field goal in the driving rain. Alabama can't even make extra points half the time. So don't tell me it's because they haven't played anybody or they're in the Big Ten. It's like if you can't watch Ohio State and just be like, this team is fantastic. This team is awesome then I really don't know what to tell you. I should say this too, Penn State, by the way. Shout out to them. They're playing really well as well. Uh, And I guess I should wrap up with that on the college football note. I will say the playoff picture is starting to take shape. Really interesting thing happening. The Oklahoma thing really opens up a a lot of stuff. But I still think at the end of the day, the one to watch is Clemson. Because I think if Clemson loses a game, and they looked awesome last night, if Clemson loses a game, that changes everything because I still think Oklahoma goes 12 and 1. They're going to have two wins over Baylor, they're going to have a win over Texas. They're going to have they're going to have good wins. Clemson is not going to have a single good win on their resume and they're going to have a bad loss on their resume if they lose a game. Now if Clemson goes 13 and 0 and wins the ACC, they're going to make the playoff. But I just think that if they lose a game, it opens up the floodgates because now you could potentially have two SEC teams with LSU and Alabama. You could still have two SEC teams. You could potentially get two Big Ten teams in if Clemson loses. I guess, no, I, I was going to say maybe you could get two Big 12, but you can't. But I, I just think that that is the scenario that makes things so interesting. I still think if Oklahoma goes 12-1, and one, they're in. I think Ohio State has to feel pretty good. I'll say this. I think Penn State, I think there's a very realistic chance that Penn State could actually finish 11-1 if they lose to Ohio State, that being their only loss. I think they're an interesting playoff contender. They play Ohio State the second to last week of the season. Ohio State, I will say, closes with Penn State and Michigan. So there's still a lot of football to be played. I try not to do too much of the playoff stuff early, but I'll tell you, Clemson's the one that makes things interesting. I'd also tell you this, don't sleep on the Pac-12. We wrote off the Pac-12. They're dead. They have no chance at making the playoff. Well, guess what? Oregon won their seventh game in a row last night. They are now 7-1 at this point in the season. Utah is now 7-1 at this point in the season. 
And I'll tell you, this is the weekend where we're going to learn if the Pac-12 has a real playoff contender because Utah's toughest game of their schedule is this weekend they play at Washington, and Oregon's toughest game of the weekend is this weekend, and that's at USC. And if those two games get, if those two teams get by those two teams, I think it's very realistic they both enter the Pac-12 championship game at 11 and one. The winner would be 12 and one, and the winner will be in the playoff conversation. Now, as far as my personal top four right now, by the way, we start to get our first four. We get our, our, our first playoff ranking on November 5th during the Champions Classic, so that's pretty cool. But if I had to give a four right now, I would actually go sort of controversial. I would go Ohio State one. I'd go LSU two. I'd go Bama three. I'd actually go Penn State four. I think Penn State has a significantly more impressive resume than Clemson does right now. Penn State, remember, they've beaten Iowa at Iowa. They beat Michigan. Clemson doesn't have any of those wins on the schedule. Now, if Penn State loses to Ohio State, I'd probably bump Clemson up. But right now, those are my top four. But I'm telling you, there's still a lot of football to be played. And there is still, uh, I just think, a very interesting uh, you know, scenarios that are going to happen. I still think the Pac-12 is in the mix. I still think Oklahoma's fine. But that is enough college football for right now. I thought I was going to talk 25 minutes, ended up being 40. But I think it was good content. So let me know what you think. You can always uh, chime in at on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. I don't think I go too long. I think I give you good information. So uh, I want to switch to basketball really quick. By the way, I should mention last last episode, uh, our buddies over at Blue Chew gave us uh, you know a sponsor. They're they're going to be our sponsor throughout the fall and into the winter. So go back, listen, Blue Chew promo code Torres if you're interested in that sort of thing. Shout out to our people at Blue Chew. All right, college basketball season, nine, nine days away, people. It's coming fast. It is coming so fast. I am so excited. I'm actually going to wrap on the Champions Classic. Next Sunday, Monday episode, I will have somebody on to talk Champions Classic. So it's going to be a lot of fun. But I did want to get to a few college hoops news and notes because we're really, really, really close. And I think the first one I want to get to is very simply this, is that as I said, we are so close and something pretty cool, which I don't ever remember happening before happened earlier this week. And that is that DraftKings has actually released over under win totals. And you guys know, like you listen to this show, I love over under win totals. My over under win totals from the fall are actually looking pretty good for college football. But we do over unders in college football. We do it in the NFL. We do it in the NBA. I've never seen it for college basketball, though. And this week, DraftKings released some over-unders for the season. And so you can, I guess, download. I, I've never bet through DraftKings. Now, I know they run the sports books in New Jersey, so I don't know how many Jersey people we have here or New York people that can drive to Jersey, but you can go to the DraftKings sports books in Jersey and actually bet on all these. You can also do it online. I don't know exactly how it works. But let's get to some of these totals because I find it interesting. And I'll start with the team that has the highest win total. So the team that is expected to win the most games. And I'll say, this is for the regular season only. So we're talking about a team that is going to play. Every team plays 31 games in the regular season. So we're not talking conference tournaments. We're not talking NCAA tournaments. The highest point total or highest win total is actually Gonzaga. And I talked a lot about Gonzaga in the last episode, so I'm not going to talk too much about it, but that is a preposterous win total. You take that win total, that means they're going to go 28-3 and in the regular season, and I just don't see it. Keep in mind, they play at Arizona this year. 
They play UNC at home this year. They play in Atlantis in the battle for Atlantis in what could be the toughest tournament of the entire uh, feast week. Because you look at that tournament, they play UNC is in it. Uh, Alabama with Nate Oates and 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 John Petty and all those guys are in it. Um, Seton Hall is in it. Seton Hall is of course really good. I just don't see the scenario where they get 27 wins. By the way, they have to play at Washington this year. They have to play at Texas A&M. I don't see that scenario at all. So I found it very interesting that they play they that they're the the favorite with 27 and a half wins. I'd also say this. Everyone's gonna say, well, you know, they play in that easy conference. They they only play 16 conference games. It's really interesting is that in an era where we're starting to play more conference games in all these conferences, so the the ACC now plays 20 league games and the SEC, or excuse me, the Big 12 or Big 10, I'm getting all my conferences confused. The ACC has 20 league games. The Big 10 has 20 league games. Next year, the Big East and the Pac-12 are going to 20 league games. Gonzaga's conference only actually plays 16 league games, and part of that was Gonzaga basically demanded it of the league. They basically said, like, look, if you want us to stay, you got to give us a chance to schedule more good out-of-conference teams because we just don't see the value in staying in this conference if you're going to force us to play all these bad teams. So they play fewer conference games. St. Mary's is good, and they play UNC, Arizona, Washington in the out-of-conference plus Battle for Atlantis. I don't like that number. I also think Memphis is too high. Memphis is 26.5, which is the second-highest win total. Memphis kind of the same deal. Memphis plays a very tough out-of-conference schedule, not quite as tough as Gonzaga, but they play Oregon on a neutral court, and the neutral court's in Oregon, so it's not really a neutral court. They play NC State on a neutral court. They play at Tennessee. And let's never forget, too, is that their conference, I think, is a little tougher than people realize. I think Wichita State's going to be good. I think Cincinnati's going to be good. I think Houston's going to be good. So the 26 and a half games, I would actually go under on that one as well. I will say my favorite bet, just in terms of period, but also in an over situation, is Kansas. I do like Kansas. They're set at 24 wins, and I actually would hammer. If I lived in Jersey, I would drive down and hammer that number because Kansas is a really good team. They're playing in a conference where I think once you get past Kansas, Texas Tech, Baylor, those are the big three to know in the Big 12. You get past them, you now have a scenario where there's a lot of just eh, kind of good but not great teams. Uh, Kansas State is taking a step back. Oklahoma is going to take a step back. West Virginia, I don't know what we're going to get out of them this year. Oklahoma State has talent, but do we trust Mike Boynton, the young head coach? So to me, Kansas is the best bet at 24. Uh, Kentucky at 24 and a half, I feel pretty good about uh, because I think the schedule is more manageable than usual. Yes, you open with the number one team in the country. Yes, you potentially play the number two team in the country uh, with Louisville. You're technically the two team, but you know what I'm saying. Louisville could be the second best team in the country. But they don't play Kansas in the Big 12 Challenge this year. They don't play Duke. They don't play UNC. So I think there's a scenario where Kentucky could go over 24 and a half. I probably wouldn't bet it, but if I did have to bet one, I would probably bet 25 because I just think they're going to be that good, uh, and I think that that's the right number. Other than that, I don't feel great about any of the numbers. You have Arizona on the list. You have Florida on the list. You have uh, Villanova, but I'm telling you, the, the three that I like, I like Gonzaga under 27 and a half. I like Memphis under 26 and a half. I like Kansas over 24. I do like Kentucky at 24 and a half, but I probably wouldn't bet it. 
Everything else feels like a stay away. But again, that's DraftKings. And we have college basketball over under win totals, which we've never had before. It's awesome. You know, I, I love to gamble maybe a little bit too much after this week's picks. Uh, the picks did not go good this week. But listen, we all have bad weeks. We all have down weeks. Uh, even the great ones. Even Michael, Michael Jordan missed more shots than he made or whatever the saying is. You Listen, never, never forget, as far as my bets are concerned, you lose all the bets you never make. That's my philosophy, right? Michael, uh, Wayne, Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky said, you, you miss all the shots you don't take. AT says, you lose all the bets you don't make. All right, so I do want to get to, as I said really quickly, uh, some college hoops questions. I mentioned the over-under win totals, and we do have a couple uh, questions in the mailbag. They've been sitting there for a while. If you want to submit your own questions, maybe I'll do this again. On Thursday, if you have college hoops questions, the season's coming. If you have college hoops questions, at Aaron or uh, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, or Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, so first one is from Phil in Nashville. Phil says, "At love the show, big Tennessee fan. Do you think Tennessee Tennessee's not coming out in uh, many of the top twenty fives coming into the season?" Could you see a scenario where they are one of the surprise teams in the country? If not, who do you think are the biggest surprises? I'll say this. I don't think Tennessee's really a surprise. I mean, they were a team that was in the top 10 all of last year. They were number one in the country for a good chunk of the season. It's hard to be a surprise because I don't think people, I don't think they're going to sneak up on anybody. What I will say is I do think Tennessee is probably a little bit better than people realize. Uh, Jordan Bowden and Lamonte Turner were at times... Tennessee's two best players last year. Now, listen, Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield were, were the stars of that program. But there were nights where Lamonte Turner was the best player on the team. There were nights where Jordan Bowden was the best player on the team. And so I like those two. I like Josiah James, uh, Josiah James, Josiah Jordan James, the true freshman. He's going to be asked to handle the ball. I think Tennessee is, again, a tournament team. I don't think they're you know top two, top three, top four seed like they have been the last few years. I think they get in. I think they potentially win a game. I wouldn't call them a surprise, though. As for other surprises, a couple of teams that I actually like, I was thinking about this. Uh, first of all, I, I actually, I mentioned them a minute ago. I really like Wichita State coming into this year. I actually talked to Greg Marshall over the summer for something I was working on, and he feels pretty confident about this team. I'm cautiously optimistic, but optimistic. I mean, this was a team that never forget. They were in the Missouri Valley forever. They just beat the brains out of everybody in the Missouri Valley. They went to the AAC a few years ago, and they made the tournament. They lost in the first round. I was actually at the game. They played uh, Marshall. They played Marshall. They lost in the first round, and then they basically lost everybody. Coming into last year, they only had three players who had ever played a single minute for Wichita State, and one of them had played like 48 minutes over the course of his career. So they were insanely young. They struggled early, but what I don't think a lot of people realize they won 14 out of their final 18 games, and a lot of them were in conference tournament. They made the NIT and won three or four games there. A lot of them were on the road, and so they bring back a good chunk of their team. Dexter Dennis is probably their best player. They also bring in the best recruiting class that they've ever had in school history, which helps when you're playing in the AAC. They have a kid named Grant Sherfield who was actually committed to UCLA, decommitted when Steve Alford was fired. Um, they have a kid named Noah Fernandez. They have a kid named Tyson Etienne. And these guys, Greg Marshall raved about just how hard they're working, how much, how quickly they're picking things up. So I think Wichita State surprises. I think they get into the tournament. I think they potentially win a game there. I'll also give you another team that I'm a little higher on than most. 
USC Trojans. Now, I know what you're going to say. Oh, USC, Torres, you love them and you overrate them every year. Well, like, I'll tell you, like, I had them in the tournament last year and they were disappointing. But this idea that they're this, like, like, like USC has somehow gotten this, this deal where they are this, like, colossally, historically disappointing program. They were never good forever. Andy Enfield gets there. They make the tournament in 2016 and 2017. 2018, they made the NIT, but they actually finished second in the Pac-12, and just the metrics, for whatever reason, didn't like them, and they didn't get into the NCAA tournament. So they basically, three out of the last four years, they've either made the NCAA tournament or were literally the first team out of the NCAA tournament. And so when I look at USC, I just think they have an insane amount of talent. I think some of the kids that were in the program last year maybe. I don't think the coaches would say, I know the coaches wouldn't say it publicly, but I think behind the scenes, they're happy that some of them are gone and they have a really good freshman class. Isaiah Mobley was a McDonald's All-American last year. Onyeka Kongwu, who I think could be the Pac-12 freshman of the year. It won't be easy because Nico Mannion's at Arizona and um, Nico Mannion's at Arizona and uh, Isaiah Stewart is at uh, is at Washington, but Onyeko Kangu is really good. He would have been a McDonald's All-American, except I don't think that people realize uh, that he got hurt over the course of his high school career towards the end of his high school career. And so because of it, uh, he was a little bit under the radar. The one thing I will say about USC, and I'll just admit it, I'll, I'll, I'll re- readily admit it, is that they do have some issues um, in terms of the point guard position. They're probably going to have to play a freshman. A lot of their guards are better as combo guards, better as scoring guards. But I do like USC as a surprise team because I think I like the kids they have in the program. They just beat Villanova in an exhibition, and I actually think they're going to be really good. All right, Zach Foster actually on Twitter reached out to me uh, after I was kind of crushing Chad Morris yesterday, and he said, Aaron, we're too far gone in football. It's time for Hogs basketball season. I'm on to the Eric Musselman show at Arkansas. Speaking of which, how do you think this year is going to go? All right, so I already talked about Arkansas a few weeks ago. I will bring it up again. I'll say this. People forget about Arkansas. They finished 8-10 and 10 last year in the SEC. And really until about the last week of the season, they were on the bubble with a chance to play themselves into the tournament conversation. And so because of it, I think, look, everybody not named Daniel Gafford comes back at the University of Arkansas, and you're improving the coaching staff with Eric Musselman. I know Muss is a friend of the show, and we talk about him a lot, but, like, I mean, the guy won 29 games last year at Nevada. They made three straight NCAA tournaments out of the Mountain West, two straight at-large bids, which is relatively unprecedented out of the Mountain West. And so I know, like, some people are like, Torres, you talk about Musselman too much. But, like, he won a lot of games. They were in the top 25 for most of last year. So I think when you take the improvement and coaching, you take the fact that they basically return everybody not named Daniel Gafford. They bring in a couple of transfers, Jimmy Witt, John Tall, Cilio, I don't know how to say his last name. Um, they're going to be good. And I think they're in the conversation. My only concern with Arkansas is that probably, probably uh, the SEC is so strong that I just think it's going to be tough to get enough wins to get into the tournament because you look at the SEC, Kentucky, Florida, LSU, Bama's going to be good, Auburn's going to be good, Tennessee's going to be good, Mississippi State's going to be good, Ole Miss is going to be good. It's just a lot of teams in the SEC right now. So to me, I will say Arkansas is a fringe NCAA tournament team, but I do think that they're in the mix, and I think in year one under Eric Musselman, that is all you can ask for. All right, final question. 
This is from Mike. He says, AT, Champions Classic right around the corner. What do you think about those games? All right, so I'm going to preview the Champions Classic next week. I'll just make this brief. I'll say this. I'm super excited. We got one versus two, three versus four, but I think we need to remember something very important. College basketball is not college football. One game does not define a team season. If you win in the Champions Classic, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be undefeated or whatever. Like, let's never forget, last year in the first game, Michigan State lost that game to Kansas. Kansas's leading scorer was Quentin Grimes, who was so bad by the end of the year that he actually transferred from Kansas. He's now at Houston. Michigan State lost that game, made the Final Four. By the way, Duke obliterated Kentucky. We all know that. Duke and Kentucky both made the Elite Eight. So let's not take too much out of it. What I will say is I probably do like Kansas a little bit more than I like Duke, uh, especially if you didn't see Duke actually really struggled uh, in an exhibition game on Saturday night. They did hold on to win um, in that exhibition game, but it wasn't pretty. They almost lost to a D2 school uh, on Saturday night. They played Northwest Missouri, I believe, was the team. They didn't look all that good. So I think I think Kansas probably wins that game. And I still haven't decided on Kentucky-Michigan State because I do. Kentucky is actually going to play an exhibition on Sunday. Uh, I'm recording a little bit before that exhibition. But Kentucky's playing an exhibition. Michigan State lost to Gonzaga in their exhibition. And I think Michigan State's still kind of trying to figure everything out. They bring back most everybody, but they thought they were going to have Josh Langford. He's not available. They did lose Nick Ward, their best big man. They just thought, oh, we'll just put in Xavier Tillman. I don't think it's quite that easy. They lost Kenny Goins, who was kind of a glue guy. He did a lot of the little things. I think Michigan State's going to be great by the end of the season. I'm not sold that on opening night they're going to be where they need to be. I'm not saying I'm leaning to Kentucky. I'm saying I'm still a little bit unsure. All right, so somehow... Um, I just did an hour talking sports, but that's because I'm awesome. It's because I'm AT. It's because it's what I do. I'm AT. I kill it. All right, so that's all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. This was episode 193. I appreciate all you guys listening. Uh, you guys are awesome. I, 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 I'm so blown away by the numbers we've gotten, and as we're going to continue to roll into college basketball season, if you're not subscribed, please make sure to do it on iTunes, on Podcast Addict, on Podbean, on TuneIn Radio. Also, Pod Paradise, Spotify, wherever you listen to the show. Also, make sure to please rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you love. Uh, everything under the sun that's appropriate, feel free to say. Also, follow on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. And also, if you have questions, I just did part of the mailbag, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That's all for today's show. Shout out to my boy, Torrent Craig. I'll be back later this week, guys. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.